many, many leaders know this. This is easiest to get across that God provides. What they don't so easily understand is that God provides people. They expect God to just provide money. But the scripture says God provides people. He provides people like Nehemiah, who was the reluctant fundraiser. He provides people like the women that followed Jesus and supported the disciples out of their wealth. Ministries in different parts of the world are willing and happy to look for support outside their countries, but that support cannot last forever. Welcome to the Lausanne Movement Podcast, where we have a passion to accelerate global mission together. I am your host, Jason Watson, and on today's episode, we address a fundamental aspect of ministry that we all have to engage with, fundraising. We'll dive into how fundraising can be spiritual, satisfying, and not just an obligation. Our guest today is Rodina Colonesi, a seasoned professional in fundraising who has dedicated her career to helping Christian leaders, churches, and charities realize their God-given visions through effective fundraising strategies. In a world where almost every follower of Jesus will experience fundraising, understanding these biblical principles has never been more crucial. In our conversation, Rodina shares valuable insights into how we can transition from not just only understanding biblical principles, but to actually stepping out and raising funds effectively and biblically. We will explore how the landscape of Christian fundraising is changing, especially in the light of the post-pandemic world, and how we can adapt to these changes. So, get ready to be equipped and inspired as we navigate the intricate world of Christian fundraising. Well, Rodina, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Jason. It's wonderful to be here. So today we're going to be talking about all things fundraising. And that is why we have you on the show, because you have dedicated your career to helping Christian leaders and churches and charities raise funds for the vision that God has given them. Now, what makes me really excited about this conversation is there's a couple of things. But the first one is this, is that this topic of fundraising is applicable to almost every single person that's going to be listening to this podcast. We all need to grow in our ability to raise funds to support kingdom initiatives. Almost all of us are going to be involved in those, whether it's initiatives for our local churches, for ourselves, or for our missions organizations. And so this is applicable to, to everyone. But secondly, it is one thing to have a vision from the Lord, to have a dream that God has placed on our hearts for the kingdom and for the gospel to be advanced. It's a whole nother thing to fund that dream. And I think that for me has been where most people's dreams die, when they are filled with the fear of not being able to fund their dream and fund the kingdom. And so I'm hoping that through our conversation today, that fear will be lifted a little bit and that people will be encouraged to step out and to fund the dreams that God has placed in their hearts for his kingdom. So Redina, to begin, could you share with us what initially drew you into the whole world of Christian fundraising and stewardship? Was there a moment or experience that just sparked a passion in your heart for this area? Yes, Jason, it absolutely was. And it started way back in 1996. I was about to graduate from Spurgeon's College in London. So I had, I'd got my master's degree in theology from Spurgeon's. I came to Spurgeon's from Albania and I was probably one of the first women believers from communist Albania who actually get a theology degree. And I was wondering where would God call me next? What would be my next step? So one day on the college notice board, I saw this little advert from 
a place called the Whitfield Institute that at that time was in Oxford. And they were looking for somebody to do some nationwide research in the UK on trends and attitudes of evangelical Christians towards giving to churches and, and ministries. So I picked up the ad and went and spoke to the academic dean of the college, a gentleman named Colin Brown. And I said, Colin, I'd really want to apply for this. What do you think? And he said, absolutely go for it. He said, you come from another culture, so it will interest, be interesting to see how you see the UK Christians and UK church related to their generosity, but also you have the background in social research. My first degree was in philosophy and marketing. And he said, you know, and you understand now the theology because you have spent three years at the theological college. So kind of all armed with this, with my passion for understanding scripture and with some good knowledge of how research works and, you know, what kind of questions can you ask to somebody to get responses and so on. I applied for the role. And to my surprise, I actually got the research position. So I spent two years in Oxford working with Dr. David Cook and conducting the first ever nationwide survey of evangelical Christians. We used the Evangelical Alliance database at that time and sent out 2,000 questionnaires to individuals who were members of EA and 1,000 questionnaires to church leaders from various denominations. And the findings of those two surveys really formed the basis for a new initiative to be launched at the time in the UK that aimed to promote stewardship and generosity in British churches, because we saw that, for example, the majority of church leaders preached only once a year on stewardship and giving. Most believers were giving because they believed in the kingdom purposes of the ministries, but they also wanted to see ministries be more accountable, and they wanted to see certain types of feedback and ways to be communicated that were interesting to them, not just to kind of how the organizations were communicating at the moment. So this sparked a lot of discussions and opened up an opportunity for me to be the stewardship education consultant for stewardship services. So I kind of came on board with stewardship as an organization to teach and promote generosity and to mainly work with church leaders and then later on with ministry fundraisers on bringing together biblical principles of fundraising, using them as a foundation, and then upon them using best practices that organizations and churches can apply to raise the funds needs for their work. So I could say it was probably, you know, God knew what he was doing, but it was kind of his purpose was revealed to me step by step. Something that I hold dear in my heart when I was considering you know, should I take on this opportunity or return to Albania at the time was also the words of one of my teachers who said, the trust that provided the money for me to do the research was called the Macedonian Trust. And he says, Redina, think about it. They are a brethren trust. They don't usually employ women. You know, they are called the Macedonian Trust because their vision is built on sort of, you know, Second Corinthians uh, 8 and 9. They talk about the generosity of the Macedonian church. And incidentally, my hometown in Albania is literally 40 minutes from the border with Macedonia. So he said, maybe you are the person that God is calling to actually serve in this function and be an ambassador for him in really promoting fundraising, generosity, stewardship in the UK. And, and that's what I've been doing you know, in the last 26 years. Wow, 26 years of experience helping Christians raise funds and steward their money for the kingdom. I'm really excited to dive into that. But before we do, I don't want to move beyond just your story for just a moment. You mentioned that you are from Albania originally. 
would you mind, we have a global audience listening to this podcast. Could you just shed some light on how you came to faith in Albania, what the circumstances are, what Christianity is like there, and how, how they were transitioned from Albania to England, how that experience shifted your faith system? I would say my story of faith is also a story of God's generosity towards me. I first met a group of Christians who came to my high school way back in 1986. And they were believers who were inspired by Brother Andrew of Open Doors to pray for Albania, which at that time was a very close country. It was the only self-declared atheist country in Europe. So these people would come without saying that they were Christians. Obviously, they came as tourists. But I happened to sit with a gentleman called Nigel Dale. He came and sat at my desk and we had this conversation about, he was asking me about my family and telling me about his family, his children, his wife. And, and at the end, he gave me a postcard with his address saying, you know, we'd love to hear from you, Redina, if you want to write to us. So as it happened, I corresponded with Nigel and Jane for four years before one of their friends came back to Albania in 1990. And it was God's provision that although the government officials, you know, the people from the secret police would open the letters, they always kind of let the letters go because my father was a famous mathematician in Albania. So there was kind of a bit of respect for him. But really God granting favor for the communications to continue. And when Nigel's friends came to Albania, brought me a little gift from him, they also were the ones who put me in touch with the first missionaries who were arriving in Albania in 1990, because after the fall of Berlin Wall, Albania also began to open up. And a lady came forward in one of the little meetings I was having then, and she said, do you remember me? I was in that meeting in 1986. And her name was Najwa. She was a Brazilian missionary. And, and Najwa went on to serve in Albania for many, many years. She passed away just before, you know, during COVID or a couple of years ago. But it was through Najwa's witness that I became a believer through the friendship of these British Christians who had faithfully prayed almost like near the time when I was born, you know, and a number of my generations, because we were the first generations in Albania growing up without God, that they faithfully prayed for 20 years and then they had to wait probably longer to see the fruit in many other people's lives. Because in my generation, there are you know, hundreds, even thousands of people who are believers in Albania. Some of them are church leaders and ministry leaders. But at that time when I was in university and had become a believer, it was Nigel who invited me to spend my first Christmas ever with his family in the UK. So again, by God's grace, I was given a passport. We never had passport because we never left Albania. Somehow I got a British visa through the British consulate in Florence. And it was the amazing generosity of this person, whom I later found out was a wealthy businessman, who actually paid 800 pounds for me to travel first class because they were worried about my safety on the Malay Airlines from London to Budapest and Budapest to London. And I was really, really humbled by their generosity. But also when I look back at, at that story, I always feel inspired to generous to others and to contribute into others' lives because you never know how God can use me or in the lives of the people I meet. But our God is a generous God. And yes, we go through hard times and I've been through hard times myself, but he also provides lavishly and he 
opens doors and creates opportunities for us to actually serve him in amazing ways and to use the examples of people who have inspired us to continue to be, you know, models of generosity to others. Because I think like the gospel stories, like the stories of scripture, go from one generation to the next. Also in the oral tradition, in how we tell what God has done through the Bible, but also through our lives, then we become real witness to to other people to see how good God is and how he provides and cares and protects. So little did I know back in 1986 that this was a journey that God had planned for me and the people I've met along the way. I really love how your ministry builds upon your testimony of salvation, the testimony of someone's faithfulness through the years, groups of people's faithfulness through the years to be praying and to go into Albania and to bring testimony of Christ into that region. And then faithfulness in terms and stewardship with their finances to fund you, to go and spend Christmas with them. It's such a beautiful story. And thank you for sharing that. I mean, from them also, people like them helped me or supported me to study in Spiritus College and to be able to bring the perspective. Although I was a very young believer, I think it's being brave when you are young to take those ventures. I think looking back now, you know, I think, okay, I was only 23 when I came to the UK and I went straight to a theological college to study in a second language, to use a computer for the same time. Because wow. everything we did is right <laughs> on a piece of paper or, you know, take, go to a person who could type our essays. I didn't even know how to type. And then being in that community and meet other believers and learn God's word and being able to contribute and, and support that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Now you have an extensive career in stewardship and within generosity and helping people fundraise. What have been some of the more significant challenges you have faced in teaching biblical stewardship? And on the flip side, could you share some practically rewarding experiences What's success stories that you've had along the way? Yes. I would say the biggest challenges have been trying to address the, the sort of the paradigms around fundraising and stewardship. Church leaders don't want to talk about it. Ministry leaders don't want either, you know, they often kind of approach you when they need money or it is an urgent situation. So it is very hard to even get people in the room to have these discussions. I remember I designed a training module for pastors called Rediscovering the Joy of Giving when I was working for stewardship and we had our first training session and we promoted it really widely and we only had only four people show up. So I had to do this training with four people and kind of felt, you know, motivated, but at the same time really sad because you think we put so much time and effort. And later on, though, for me, the reward, because this was like my first attempt to take what I had learned and developed beyond the groups of leaders inside the EA community to like real church leaders in, in Birmingham, in the middle of England. And I remember a couple of years later at a much bigger event that we were hosting with stewardship, a lady approached me and she said, oh, I am the treasurer from that church in Birmingham. And we did what you said, and wow. our giving has gone up by 30%. Wow. And to me, it's like, actually, somebody, even in that small group, took these things on board and did them. So for me, the biggest challenge is to, to be persistent, because whether it is speaking to a group or coaching a client or consulting, often there are these invisible barriers that people don't want to talk about, but what's going on in their minds is, this doesn't work here. Fundraising is hard. 
fundraising is not spiritual. I'd rather not do it. Can you just do it for us and we can get on with our ministry? You know, or the fear of asking or the shame that, oh gosh, like I feel inadequate that I'm asking to give. So it's, these challenges are real and present. And even after 26 years or 20 years in kind of full-time service, they don't change. We teach one generation and somehow those people do great things and then they go on or retire. And then a whole new cohort of people comes who we have to start all over again. I feel sometimes a bit like God in the Old Testament that had to remind Israel of the salvation history that we did these things for your forefathers. God did this. God was faithful. So it is, I think, a continuing battle. But, but there is joy when you see people's eyes light up or when they get that aha moment that fundraising is ministry and I can quick to do it. Or when they come back and they've had a really great win. So, you know, they've taken some landing on board. They have conquered their fear and spoken to supporters or went and met a major donor and they come back with a check or with a promise of a gift. That is really, really wonderful to see happening. And I think in all we do, really, I pray that God takes this teaching, makes it a seed in the hearts, you know, that seed in the hearts of the people grows into something fruitful and just gives them wings to be able to go and ask boldly because this isn't for them. This is for the kingdom. It's an opportunity to involve God's people in God's work. So that's, that's how I look at it. Thank you for touching on some of those complexities and even sharing some of the success stories. You know, as you were speaking, I was thinking about how many of us who are listening to this podcast are from evangelical traditions. And one of the things we evangelicals pride ourselves on is holding to the word of God as yes. best as we can. And there is a biblical foundation to this idea of stewardship and generosity and fundraising. You know, we might even believe and understand that theology, but you're right that in practice, pastors and ministry leaders, they struggle and we struggle to, to bridge that gap of being biblical with our ministries. And so could you help us? How do we overcome that barrier? Could you share some of the biblical foundations? Maybe there are some who are listening and saying, I don't know if a fundraising is spiritual. I don't know if there's a biblical foundation. Could you share some biblical foundations to it? And how do you help people overcome that barrier of that awkwardness of moving from understanding a theological concept in their mind and heart to actually stepping out of their comfort zone and raising funds for themselves and for their ministries? Yes. I would say for me that sort of the core of that biblical foundation is that throughout scripture, God describes our identity as stewards. You open Genesis 1 and 2, and we see that we are stewards of creation. We are stewards of everything that God has made. We are stewards of relationships. And then we look throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that we are also stewards of the poor and those who are suffering a lot of the Old Testament teaching. It's about helping the poor and the widows and caring for those who are serving God's people and sharing God's word. Then in the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul say in Corinthians that we are also stewards of the mysteries of God. So in a sense, when I talk to church leaders or ministry leaders, I say, when you look at the person across the table, do not see somebody who doesn't like to give, who doesn't want to get involved, who doesn't care. See a steward of God's you know, everything. Like that person, like you are called to do mission, the person sitting across the table or the people in the room or in the congregation, 
they also feel this calling from God to serve, to use their money, to use their time, to use their relationships, to be caring for others, caring for creation, caring for the neighbor, loving the neighbor more than themselves. I think the biggest mistake we make in ministry is that we think that the ministry is just ours, that it is only us that God has called to build a hospital, to send, to build a school or to feed these children or to share the gospel to a remote area. But that is not true. God has put the same dream and the same vision in the hearts of hundreds, thousands, millions of his people. And they all wait for an opportunity to be part of God's mission, to be part of God's work. So if we see other people as stewards, then our mindset changes about how we can work with them, how we can invite them into fulfilling their dream, their vision, their purpose. So when I talk about fundraising as ministry, I often say, as fundraisers, we stand in the middle, or as ministry leaders or church leaders, we are connecting God's people to God's causes. Wow, that's good. We are being the catalyst or the channel through our ministry, through our church. God is giving opportunities to these people, to the congregation or to supporters, to actually make a difference in the world. So it's turning around that paradigm where often, if we think of a triangle, the organization or the church is at the top of the triangle, the supporter or the congregation member is here, and the person who can benefit is on the other side. A lot of Christian ministries and churches think, give to us so we can work poor, give to us so we can preach Bibles, give to us so, you know, or give to me so I can go to the, to the Lausanne Congress because I'm going to go to this event and connect and collaborate. But actually the right approach or the biblical approach is to turn the triangle upside down and say, you are changing a child's life. You are putting a Bible into the hands of a believer that didn't have one. You are taking the good news of Jesus to remote areas through us, through this ministry, through the church, because the church or the ministry is just the channel. And through this channel flows God's generosity to places where it is needed or to places where God wants to make a difference. And to come back to the biblical piece, I often teach four really simple principles from when I have kind of derived this thinking. The first one that we all know is that God is a provider. And through Genesis 1 and 2, as I said, or even Haggai 2, chapter 2, verse 8, when the scripture says, the silver and the gold is mine, says the Lord. Or Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. So... Many, many leaders know this. This is easiest to get across, that God provides. What they don't so easily understand is that God provides people. They expect God to just provide money. We don't want to ask. We want money to drop on our lap or to be coming through post or see it on our online bank account through a website or a social media campaign. But the scripture says God provides people. He provides people like Nehemiah who was the reluctant fundraiser. He provides people like the women that followed Jesus and supported the disciples out of their wealth. He provides people like the widows that, that put their offering in the bag and Jesus said, this is something to look for, somebody who gives with, their, with all their heart. And these people contribute to God's mission. So out there in every country, in every nation, there are believers that 
God has put in their heart, the desire to be generous, but also the desire to do ex extraordinary things for God. Again, we think only us are called to do extraordinary things for God. No, ordinary people who walk their dogs, you know, mothers who take their kids to school, grandmothers who have taken in eight kids in some village in Africa or Asia, those persecuted Christians everywhere, they want to do wonderful things for God. When we invite them to give, we give them this opportunity to participate in mission. We open the doors for them to then begin and walk into this journey of doing wonderful things with us. Because through their giving, these believers really mirror the general heart of God. I mean, ultimately, why Christians give is not to just provide shoes or books or build things. They give because they want to be more like Jesus. So every time we ask people to give, we are giving them a chance to grow in their spiritual journey, to grow their love for Jesus, to give more unconditionally like God gave through Jesus. So we actually help them to grow in their faith and in their get closer to God through giving and not just giving money, but also giving time through praying, through volunteering, through participating in different mission activities. We just open doors for people to be more like Jesus. It is their desire. We help them practically to do so. And my final point really comes from Acts chapter 4, where we see the early church. Believers are giving and receiving. Or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Today there is a need, or at that time there was a need in Macedonia, and Corinthians and others were called to help. But tomorrow the Macedonian church could help other churches. I mean, here I am as part of my story coming from that part of the world to help the church in the UK. Wow. God's economy is not just a one-way stream. Yes. It's flowing of resources, of support, of people helping each other at times of need. And if we see, if we frame our fundraising it, from this perspective that I believe is scriptural, then we can put those fears and worries aside because People are not our enemies. They are not those who will judge us. They are mostly eager and willing to join in, to participate. They just are waiting to be invited. They are waiting to be taken on a journey and then inspired along the way as well so that they continue to support God's work generously. But for me, it's key. We talk about partnership. Most ministries or churches don't really do genuine partnerships in practice. Maybe because they are not deeply aware, because the partnership is heavily, when we need some money, we'll talk to you. When we really need you to pray, we'll tell you. But the donor or the supporter is the silent partner. They are not really listened to. They are not kind of invited or shown or even told that they should be, that they are vital in the process because it's missionaries, it's leaders, it's workers who we maybe unintentionally consider as vital in God's work. Wow, Rodina, you've really set the foundation for the biblical idea of what stewardship is, especially within God's greater narrative. As you were speaking, I was just, I just became so aware of the fact that we're talking about a discipleship issue. Yes. We're talking about giving people the opportunity to become more like their savior, which is a call that God has placed on all of our lives. And if we're failing to equip people to be faithful stewards and to be faithful partners within, the, within God's mission, then we're failing to disciple our people as ministers and as ministry leaders. It's a call of God on our lives. And so thank you for laying that foundation. Now, 
you mentioned that you've been in this business, if I can call it that, this ministry for many years now. You must have seen many trends come and go as economies rose and have fallen and have stabilized and have gone through depressions and all those kind of things. From your perspective, how has ministry fundraising evolved over the years? And what are the emerging trends in terms of Christian fundraising and stewardship? I think especially in the context of the evolving post-pandemic world. I think ministry fundraising has evolved greatly. Even as I look at the last 20 years, I've been doing this work and working with ministries, not just here, but across Europe and with partners of my clients in different parts of the world. I think there is now a greater awareness in Christian ministries to have the right fundraising paradigm. So they are seeing fundraising more as ministry, or I would say ministries that are being successful are the ones that have embraced this paradigm of God is calling us to invite people in mission, to listen to our supporters, to have clarity on our mission and vision, but just not create the mission and vision by ourselves, but open up the conversation so that supporters, beneficiaries, local partners, they all can shape up what the ministry or the church is going to do in the future. So I think in those places where they are winning, is where there is an ownership of the vision from the wider supporter community, rather than the vision being just the leader's vision. I see also Christian ministries embracing the task of telling stories. So we have become more intentional on capturing what's happening, you know, in different parts of the world or in, even in the country or locally, what the ministry is doing, letting beneficiaries speak for themselves, using different forms, written stories, videos, photos, creating like really interesting kind of conversations with their stories, with different supporters, and using technology more intentionally to reach out to different audiences. We have also learned to maybe listen more to different supporter groups. I see organizations being more willing, or I was talking to a fundraiser yesterday and he said when he started in his first job, it was all about legacies, gifts that people leave when they die. And he said, it was easy because money just kept coming in. I sat in my office and he said, over time, now I see myself as in a different role. Like I've got over my fear of speaking to people. So I find it a really pleasant experience to go and meet supporters in their homes or for coffee or in church communities and just tell what God is doing through the ministry, invite them to be part of it. And also very, very importantly, we are learning to thank people better. Ministries have been, and churches are often not appreciative of the people who sacrificially support them for a long time, because we assume that we are doing God's work. So why should we thank people? There are ministries who even today say, tick this box if you don't want to thank your note, because it will save us postage. Really, the cost of postage? Versus showing the donor that they are appreciated, that you receive their gift, showing them how you will use their gift. All these things that in the past were considered not so important are now really becoming to the forefront. And a number of ministry leaders and fundraisers are thinking, let's thank the donors more often. Let's show appreciation. Let's provide more regular feedback on how their gifts are used. Let's be more transparent. Not because we weren't doing anything right but because we were failing to communicate back after the donors, you know, had made contributions. So that trust is built through those 
activities and transparency. Now, I see this happening in most of what I call the Western world. So maybe in the West, we are doing some things better or the global North in the context of Lausanne. But in the global South, the ministries who are doing this well are probably not the majority. The trend that we see in the global South is sadly that kind of as mission has expanded, believers and church leaders and ministry leaders are more proactively reaching out and starting and running effective ministries, but they're still depending on funding from the North. So how to do good fundraising locally, how to engage with believers and churches locally, it's probably, I would say, in a lot of places, they are maybe 10, 20 years behind their friends in the North. And I'm not advocating here that we copy in the South what the North is doing, but that some conversations and some training needs to happen at sort of regional and country levels for leaders in, this, in these countries in the developing world to be more strategic about building up their fundraising in a sustainable way rather than depending hugely on, on funds coming from other parts of the world. Aradina, that's really fascinating to hear the trends and how things have shifted a bit. Let's dive into more of that practical element that you're getting to by the end of the trends where you're speaking about how we need to adapt and the things that we need to learn. For our listeners who are church leaders or involved in ministry fundraising or involved in ministry and need a fundraise and haven't started yet, what practical tips or advice can you offer them? So I'm asking you to try and give us a 101 as short as you can in, in fundraising. What are one or two or three fundamental things that people could get into place that would really help them accelerate their fundraising campaigns? I would say the starting point for every ministry leader is to really frame their vision and their calling in a way that incorporates the potential supporter. It cannot just be your mission and your vision, as I said at the beginning. So I use three questions to do this. These are the questions I want to put to listeners. The first one is, why is it that what you're doing, why is it so important? Why should somebody care about it? And how do you want them to join you in this task? So first of all, people respond to something that it's important, that is urgent. So you have to communicate that sense of this ministry is vital, this ministry is important by using statistics, by using stories. So you really frame the need and the opportunity you have to impact people's lives through your ministry or your church. And then you have to equally importantly bring the second part. Why should somebody care about this? Okay, you care, but why should somebody, why would a believer, why would the whole congregation or a group really care? What is it that where are the connecting points between your vision and their vision? And then in what way do you want them to join in? Like, do you want them to join with you as a prayer partner, as a donor? If they are going to give, what difference will their gift make? How will it transform somebody's life? So it's really having that, that clarity of mission, why is it important? Why should somebody join you and how they can join you? And then think about people God brings or has already brought into your path. When we read this, how the gospel spread in the book of Acts, it says, Luke writes that believers went first from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So simply put, what is your Jerusalem? Who are the people that aren't close to you? that might be willing to join in this mission. 
Then you go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Don't start with those that are so distant that have never heard of you or your ministry and have conversations with these people. Invite them, inspire them to join in God's mission, not to just join in the ministry that you lead. Say, is God calling you to touch young people's lives? Are you burdened by the fact that so many people, maybe 20 miles from here, have never heard of Jesus? Do you want to join me in reaching them? Or you see these women or widows in our communities struggling. Do you feel you want to do something to ease their fight? So start with something they might be interested in and ask them to join you, invite them to join you, and then continue to share the stories of impact and of opportunities. So many leaders fail because they stop too quickly. They think, oh, I asked them once, so I, I failed, I won't ask again. Well, there might have been things going on in that person's life that you didn't know about, or they were already supporting another mission. Keep the lines of communication open. Short, simple communications, again, mainly story-based, are the ones that actually work best. And pray, pray before every meeting, like that God would soften their hearts, that God would bring to you the people who would really join you in your work. I think using prayer and trusting that as we pray, God brings people to our path can really work. If you are a church leader or an evangelist, you do this naturally in your mission. So try and apply the same principles to your fundraising efforts, because this is also a ministry to you. Try and see how you can bring people to your mission work. And, and finally, thank them you know, regularly, show appreciation and tell them that the mission story that you write is their story also. So always make sure that anything you write or anything you talk about is peppered with more use than I. You know, you have made a difference. You have changed a life. You will be a pioneering mission with us. And people really, really respond to that because they feel that they are being allowed to walk with you on the journey that God has called you in. Wow, Regina, that's everything you just said was just gold, perfect gold. Thank you for those tips. They're invaluable. Now, let's get a bit practical here. We, as Luzon, are going to be hosting our Congress in September this year. There are going to be some of those who are going to be attending in person and some of those who are going to be attending online that are going to be watching this, going to be listening to this. What practical advice would you give for those Congress members as they are preparing to come to Congress and even to fund their Congress journey? What advice would you give them? I would say to them, again, think of your story with Lausanne and think of what is your dream? What is it that you want to get out of the Congress? What would be the biggest benefits? not to just you as an individual, but also to other members of your network in your country, to people in your ministry, to people in the churches you work with. So if you were to write a story narrative, how would that story look like? Because I went to Lausanne, this is what, you know, I'm expectant of what God is going to speak to me and to others through this event. So what could I get from, in a sense, from God speaking to all of us? What are some of the practical learnings in your specific field or specific network. Just narrow them down, write them down. It's a story that you would tell to a friend. For us, the guideline in fundraising is if your grandmother doesn't understand it, or if your old aunt or anybody in your life who is not a theologian, who you know hasn't got a massive ministry, but is just a normal human being with a heart for Jesus, if they don't understand what you're saying, 
And if they are not inspired to respond or stand up, then probably most people wouldn't. So write your story in a way that the person, people in your life would really understand and respond to it. And then think about the wider benefits from the sharing of the knowledge and expertise you'll get at the Congress, what those benefits be for the wider community. People will support you, not because you're going to some wonderful Congress in Korea, but because they will benefit from your learning. So if you are that, try and think maybe of a metaphor of something that if it is a jar, you're going to get filled there with this learning, with this knowledge, with this inspiration, and you'll come and pour that knowledge out to others so you can bless others and they can also accelerate the Great Commission in their ministries and really benefit from what you're doing. So it's almost like, let's contribute together to this because we will together actually benefit from this and make phone calls and go and see people. And before you talk to them about Lausanne, the Lausanne Congress, listen first, ask them how they are, ask them what God is doing in their life, see how you can bless them, how you can encourage them. Then bring up the conversation about what God is doing in your life and how he's calling you to go to the Congress and something that they'll take their interest in. So do not start just with talking about you and your work, but let people talk, let them feel appreciated, listened to, supported by you, because people who feel loved and supported are more naturally willing to give back and support you. Don't just have one conversation. You might go and see some friends for lunch. You shared, they, sh they shared, you shared, you pray, but then follow up maybe in a week's time with a short story from Lausanne. Maybe send them one of the Lausanne podcasts or some other resource that Lausanne has produced that they might find interesting. Now, probably the people you might be talking to could be business leaders. So again, they are not Bible teachers or theologians, but there are a lot of resources and ideas within Lausanne, even within the social media channels, lots of short videos, lots of really interesting pieces that you can say to somebody afterwards, like, you know, you shared with me that you really are concerned about leaders in, you know, Christians in the workplace, where here is something useful for you to read about Christians in the workplace, maybe share it with others, or you have been thinking about business as mission. Here is a chance for you to see what others are doing. So potentially plug your key prospects, we would call our supporters, into the wider things of the Lausanne, into the wider streams of the Lausanne movement, so they can see the benefits of this movement. They can see why then, hopefully, why you're going to the Congress or you're being part of the digital community can actually bring a benefit to their lives and their spiritual lives. But keep talking to people, have two or three conversations. For us in fundraising, unless you have had a clear no, it is still, <laughs> the game is still running. Conversations can still happen because sometimes people want to do things, but inertia takes over. So you have to make sure that you are not being taken over by inertia, by inertia yourselves. So sharing some updates, sharing stories, going to see people, maybe organize some small church or community events. People can make a small contribution. But from those little gifts, something significant can come. We have sometimes have organized events where people would go for a run. You know, they would sponsor somebody to read Bible verses for 24 hours or doing something crazy and wonderful. But suddenly you get people interested 
in sponsoring different events. And we will share with the Lausanne team I mean, some of these ideas as well and make them available through the Lausanne website and maybe through a series of short webinars in the future as well to actually help you more, more practically to think through around these issues because they are also conditioned by the region you live in and the people you have around you. So always think of an activity that is suitable within your culture, that is acceptable, and maybe even something that is fun and creative, but that you know that people will get on board. And I know in lots of cultures, we love eating, we love sitting together and and sharing meals and laughing. So you can create an opportunity for people to come and share a meal and make a contribution to your Congress costs as well. So, So think outside the box, I would say. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Redina. I really think that what you've just shared is, is a real value add to our listeners. One of the things that you mentioned that really stood out to me was the idea of adding value to your supporters by sharing resources, by being encouragement. And one of the resources that Luzon has is the Luzon Fundraising Network, which you're a part of. So we want to add value to our listeners on this podcast. Could you tell us more about the Luzon Fundraising Network? And you have an event coming up. Could you tell us about that event? Because we've just scratched the surface here of fundraising. And I know that this event's going to be a real value add to people who join. And so I would love to give you an opportunity to share about that event as well. Well, Ministry Fundraising Network is a, a network of ministry leaders and professional fundraisers in Christian ministries all over the world. So our purpose is to bring around the table people who are doing fundraising in different settings who are applying biblical principles, but also are using fundraising frameworks and strategies that work in their cultures and are bearing results. So we want to share ideas. We want to share stories. We want to support each other. As I said, we see in this kind of world of polycentric missions that we haven't talked a lot about polycentric fundraising or that polycentric fundraising is not really happening in great scale ministries in different parts of the world are willing and happy to look for support outside their countries, but that support cannot last forever. And for ministries to be sustainable and really honored by God, I think as well, they have to be embraced by the local people. Because as I said at the beginning, you know, if you are doing ministry in Sri Lanka, then it is the Sri Lankan church that has a heart and passion for your ministry. If you cannot enlist the support of local believers, in Sri Lanka, you cannot just depend, for example, on American or British grants that just support, you know, one part of your work. So what we are trying to do through ministry fundraising is to actually raise more awareness around these issues, but also identify brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are doing a great job and we don't really know about it. So we want church and ministry leaders to come forward, especially from the global south and say, This is how we are raising funds for our projects. This is how God is blessing us. This is how we are engaging with local churches and is working. And hopefully those stories can be shared across different nations so that fundraisers and leaders can learn from each other. We are meeting in Albania from the 8th until the 12th of April this year. And our networks meeting is called Global Roots, Local Fruits. So we want to navigate together the challenges of the polycentric fundraising and also to seize new opportunities. So if you want to find out more about this event, it will soon be published in the Lausanne Gatherings page, but I would be happy for people to contact me directly 
either by email or through my LinkedIn account and I can follow up these conversations and provide the full information for you on how to join us at the event in Albania. Great. Thank you, Redina. Could you just share with our podcast audience what is your email? And I'll include it in the show notes. My email is redina70 at gmail.com. And my LinkedIn profile is Redina Kolanetsi. Great. I'll put that in the show notes. We're going to have to bring this time to a close. I feel like we are just scratching the surface here. Do you have any final thoughts that you would like to leave with our listeners as we bring this podcast to a close? Yes. My final thought is that if you are a fundraiser or a church leader involved in fundraising, I want you to see yourself as a hope raiser because you are just giving wonderful opportunities to God's people to get involved in God's work. So raising up their hopes, you're raising up their aspirations, their horizons, and you are just enabling them to be all that God wants them to be. Wow. Thank you so much, Regina. With that, we're going to bring this to a close. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing with us. Trusting that it's a blessing to our podcast audience. Thank you. Thank you.